For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here in chapter 13 of Proverbs, there is another collection of wise sayings to glean from. Since there are many Proverbs to consider and we move through them rapidly, it would be helpful to follow along in an NIV 1984 Bible. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Growing Through Discipline. Now, Heavenly Father, we just always like to acknowledge that this is the Word of God. It does not have its origin in any man, no human. But holy men of old were carried along by the Holy Spirit and filled by your presence. And they wrote as your Spirit gave them utterance. So, Father, these are life-giving words. We open our hearts to them. Change us and let your Word do its work. In Christ's name, amen. I wanted to show you a little bit of a chart for some context where the book of Proverbs fits in and why it's so important, and here we go. Uh, Out of the 66 books in the Bible, uh, there are really six classifications of different genres of literature. And so really, it's pretty easy. The Old Testament starts with uh, the history section, right? So these are just straight up facts about how God got things going, how man fell, and how God went about through creating a nation, history here, Israel, how he would fix the problem, bring a Messiah into the world, right? So then we we have the genre of poetry. So we've got... uh, Worship songs, and it's not just any poetry. It's not like, uh, you know, Robert Frost. It's the Holy Spirit using the format of Hebrew poetry to express doctrine and truth and prophetic utterances. And so, and then Song of Solomon just reflects Christ's love for the church, really, that honors the love between a husband and a wife, and as it's reflected in Christ and the church. And then we've got the wisdom books, which I'll skip over for a second. Then we have prophecy. You see how much prophecy, uh, a lot of prophecy has already been fulfilled. About half of the uh, prophetic utterances uh, mostly fulfilled in nations around at that time and also in the coming of the Messiah. Of course, just 300 of those uh, there. And so then we have history again, but now the Messiah has been born and you're going to hear about the historical facts of that in, in the Gospels. And then Acts is historical in how, the, of course, the early church got started. And then the epistles, a fancy word for just letters. And there, that, this is where we find Christian doctrine of salvation and who God is and what he expects and just straight up teaching. Uh, epistles carry on all the way here, so the majority of the New Testament. And then the apocalyptic section, uh, they, they also include Daniel, the Old Testament book, Daniel there, but apocalypse means uh, to be unveiled or revealed or revelation, hence the word revelation, how the end of the world as we know it happens and the beginning of the kingdom of God, which we are supposedly praying for every day, thy kingdom come. Well, that, that kingdom is shown to be coming in in quite a bit of glory in the book of Revelation. Now, Proverbs fits into the mill here, right here in wisdom. And so really, the importance of the Proverbs is, so what? 
God has revealed all of who he is, what he's like, what he expects from us, who we are in the plan, how this world is going to end, how every human being is going to stand before him and give an account of their life, how there's a heaven and a hell. And Proverbs says, so what? How should I live? Why is this important to me? How, how should I deal with difficult people? How should I, how I conduct my finances? How do I deal uh, with my husband and my wife? How about my work ethic? So just the nooks and crannies of life, how to be skilled, and that's what the word Proverbs really means, to be skilled, the word wisdom rather, in Proverbs is to be skilled at life and living and relationships and finances and your own uh, brokenness and your own temptations and how to stay on the straight and narrow path. And so that's the context that really... The heartbeat is, yes, we have all this revelation, but what, how can I live in an effective and productive way that uh, ends with me standing before the throne of God with God has a smile on his face, and so do I. That's really the, right, the aim. Amen? You out there, you guys just a little sleepy tonight? Did I scare you with the chart? Okay, we'll take the chart away. Okay, so Proverbs chapters 10 through 29 are those random buckshot uh, scattering. They seem random, and mostly they're placed that way. Little two-liners, little sound bites of this is smart, and these are the pleasurable consequences in God's sight for smart people, right? And this is dumb, and don't do dumb because dumb hurts, all right? And so <laughs> that's sort of what it's saying. And, and the Proverbs uses the word stupid and smart and wise and all of these things. And one more comment. It's never about IQ, as I've often been telling you. It's not about making fun of people who don't have a high IQ. It's a willing, willing ignorance to do what you know you shouldn't be doing. That would be called stupid or foolish, and hence the fool. And so here we go again in chapter 13 with about 25 or so Proverbs that we're just going to bust through and try to apply to our lives, try to understand their original context, and what does it mean uh, for me? So let's begin at verse 1 of the chapter. A wise son heeds his father's instruction but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. So we, we see right away that if you're going to end up a wise person, it pretty much starts early. Choices and attitudes in your teens, because this is written to young men in their teens, really in its original context, a father to his boys. And so a man becomes wise by being open and willing to be corrected. And, we've, and, and the mocker, uh, the mocker, is the highest level of the fool in Proverbs. You have fools of, you have uh, levels of fools in Proverbs. The highest level, the five-star fool is called, <laughs> sorry, is called a mocker. And the mocker is somebody who just thinks everything's a joke and, and, and turns it all around on the person because they're so filled with pride, they can't be corrected. And so uh, here we see the role of the parents indirectly. Of course, the reaction to correction is the focus of the proverb, but the role of the parents is not to be uh, your child's best friend. It's not 
to make sure your child never gets angry or gets their feelings hurt or always gets what they want. Uh, the role of the parent is to instruct. And Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says that fathers, don't be overly harsh with them, but you are to raise them in the love and the instruction of the Lord and the Gospels. And so the father's uh, role is to correct. Now, the punchline here, uh, the smart kid pays attention, and he's on his way to a blessed life because he won't repeat his error. Because why? He's teachable, right? And the fool resents correction in the home and turns on the one correcting him by mocking and attacking those who offer advice. So the, the, the Proverbs will always ask you, do you love correction? Can you be corrected? Are you teachable? That is the key to growing uh, mature in your faith and not remaining stuck in stupid. All right, uh, verse 2. From the fruit of his lips, a man enjoys good things, but the unfaithful have a craving for violence. Now, I've mentioned that sometimes the correlation, they have a, a corresponding relationship, but sometimes it's hard to see what that is. And so uh, here, uh, it's interesting, actually. The person who speaks well, here's the point, who, who's always giving good advice, who's, who, whose words are filled with grace and, and they're morally good and pure. They're uplifting and truthful and all of that. Um, eats well is, is really enjoys good things, quite literally, and the King James, of course, has that. Uh, and, and in other words, good words bring a good life. And, but the faithless prefer violence. They have an appetite actually for wrongdoing and their words evidence that. All right, verse three. He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. This is one of a bell ringer for me. I just let the certain ones pop out. You know, I really like this one. The contrast between those who use words with restraint and those who don't, who are careless with their words. And of course, Jesus, our Lord, told us uh, everybody will give an account for every careless word that we utter. And so uh, our words that we utter that are careless will not damn us, but they certainly can cause us uh, to forfeit some reward uh, at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, loose lips sink ships. Right? This is what this is talking about. And perhaps we just forget how important it is to guard your lips and think before you speak because we do it so much all day long from as soon as we wake up until we go to bed. And some of us do it in our sleep as well. Uh, you know, we just can't stop. You know, the average woman speaks 20,000 words a day. Uh, the average man, 7,000. Um, I'm sorry, I got it off the internet. But they all agreed, and so it has to be true. Um, so listen, for ladies, that's 600,000 words a month. Now, 600,000 words, how many of them were edifying, right? And, uh, and guys, you, you spoke a quarter mil, a quarter million words. How many of those words are going to count for something, Right? You decide, what did James say? If you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, your religion, your Christianity, it's pretty much worthless. Everybody be quick to listen, slow to 
speak. Just stop and think. And that I've said this many times. I don't want to take too much time on any one because we've got a lot to do. But, you know, many times I'll go to say something. The Holy Spirit is so quick. He already knows what we're going to say. And he already knows we shouldn't say it. Right? So he's already, he's already told you. And, and you're like me, and I know he does this to you because I can't be the only one he picks on all the time. Uh, right before I'm about to say something useless or irrelevant or is going to get me into some trouble, maritally speaking, uh, uh, he'll go like, what? No, don't, you know? And then I have a choice. Either I'm going to jump right over him, you know, and say it anyway and get the, the, the you know, the, 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 the fruit of my labors there. Or I'm going to obey him. Now, so uh, verse 4, the sluggard, one of my favorite words, craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. So the word sluggard uh, comes from a slug, which means slow or lazy. We've talked a lot about it because it is Proverbs' favorite vice to ridicule and to slap around. Proverbs and wisdom does not appreciate the lazy person. And I think it's because it's a breach of love. What, 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 what a lazy person is doing is burdening everybody around them, and including the Lord. And so uh, the contrast between laziness and hard work, it's a major theme. Uh, yeah, everybody, uh, everyone has dreams and desires, but lazy people will go unrewarded and unfulfilled because they're unwilling to work toward their goals. And hardworking folks have their desires met. Verse 5. The righteous hate what is false, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Okay, a nice reminder uh, that our behaviors start with attitudes. So right attitudes bring, and, and biblical values bring right behavior. So uh, believers... Those who are right with God, and so whenever you see righteous in the Proverbs, it means right with God, all right? And, uh, and right behavior that comes from being right with God. And how did we get right with God? By faith. So that's the goodness and righteousness of the scriptures is given to us by being right with them. And he says, uh, those who are right with God just can't stand even one false word. They just can't. E even if it's a report about somebody that seems shady or a promise that's not intended to be kept or hypocrisy or fakeness in us or in other people. We just hate false because false comes from the devil. And, and truth comes from Jesus, who is the truth. And so Christians just hate anything to do with, with, with a lie. Uh, but, you know, that's the full-time job of the unbeliever. Everything's false. Uh, verse 6. Righteousness guards the man of integrity, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. So if laziness is like the number one theme in the Proverbs uh, and versus hard work, then a close second would be the stability of those who are right with God and the instability of those who snub God and do their own thing. Uh, in, in short, it's really those who oppose God, their lot is uh, sinkholes and they have uh, quicksand to look forward to and roads that lead off the cliff. But those who live for God, who are not perfect, they're not perfect, they're blameless. They're perfectly surrendered. They have faith. Those who live that way, the association's always uh, immovable, foundations, uh, rock, 
fortresses, shields that protect. Uh, Verse seven, one man pretends to be rich. By the way, I love this one. Yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Uh, This proverb, like many others, uh, talks about appearances can be deceptive. Um, And the idea here isn't that somebody's actually pretending. The idea is is that there seems to be uh, a misperception. There seems to be something. uh, you're, You're getting a perception that is not actually reality. And so we'll talk about this. Men and women of great wealth and honor who, biblically speaking, have little or uh, nothing of true value in their lives. And conversely, there are folks with not a whole lot to show in this life, but they're wealthy in terms of being rich toward God. Now, uh, Jesus, our Lord, has a beautiful example of this in Luke chapter 12. Uh, he brought up the subject of greed. The Lord did. And then he said, let me tell you a story about a farmer. His land produced great crops, abundance of crops. And this guy, he's famous to most of you. He's the guy who said, what am I going to do with all my surplus? I know what I'll do. I'll remodel my barns, make them bigger. And in fact, I'll tear some of them down, build bigger barns, and I'll store all my stuff. And then I'll kick back in my easy boy recliner, and I'll say to myself, hey, uh, well done, good and faithful me. You know, I'm just going to live it up and relax into my retirement years. Me, 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 me. And then the Lord says, oh, you fool, God says to him, you fool. And that word there is not the, the word that means moron, okay? Because there's a Greek word that does, and Jesus says, don't call people that, right? This word means willingly um, ignorant. You chose to be ignorant, right? And he says, you, 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 you fool. This night, you're going to die and stand before God. And then who's going to get all that stuff, you know? And, and so... You know, let me show you, and I'm not judging anybody by showing you these pictures, okay? Uh, one, some people uh, pretend to be rich, but have very little of true value in God's eyes. So anybody who looks at now there could be a believer in there. I, I'm not judging. I'm just saying, generally speaking, celebrities, and there's one in particular that's worth $200 million. $200 million, the world would esteem as value. Right? So some people pretend to be rich, but have very little. That have, the Bible says has nothing. Right? And then you, you contrast this pretense with pastors and churches where they have nothing. They don't have anything to offer you at lunch because they're wondering where their next meal is. I've been there. They have one set of clothes, one set of shoes. Sometimes they don't have the shoes. Right? But they know the Lord Jesus Christ and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they're heirs to the throne there that God has prepared for them to share. There's another picture here. Come on. He's a pastor. They have nothing in that hut. I've been in those huts. There's nothing in there. He's pretending to be poor. And yet, he has great wealth. That's what the scripture means there. Let's move on. Verse 8, 
A man's riches may ransom his life, but a poor man hears no threat. Now, I like this. So a friendly reminder, a reality check. You know, uh, there are disadvantages to being rich and famous. Uh, and and uh, mainly, everyone wants your possessions and what you have, and so you become a target, right? If you have stuff other people want to steal, then you're a target. If you have nothing that nobody else wants to steal, then you, you, know, you can sleep pretty good at night because nobody's you know, sneaking in to steal something that you don't have, right? I can assure you, there are many people who drive cars in here that have no fear of being carjacked, all right? <laughs> Why? You can drive that car through the inner cities and nobody's gonna go, hey, let's... Uh, Get out of that car. We want that car. You know what? They'll, go, they'll point a gun at you and say, keep driving. We don't want the car. Right? <laughs> so, rich people have to use their wealth to hire attorneys because people are suing them and trying to get from them something. They have to use their wealth to, this is what he's saying, you have money to ransom your life and get yourself out of trouble. And they have to use that money to get bodyguards and security systems, lawyers, and all of this kind of thing. You can get yourself out of the gym, but I'll tell you what, there are people with modest means, they sleep a lot easier at night, you know? So here's what it is. It's just saying, people, my people, can you not be lusting and envying after every rich person who walks by you on the television screen? All right, so guess what? Uh, there'll be no kidnapping and robbery uh, in your home because uh, there's no need for that. <laughs> no offense to any of us, right? So uh, verse nine, <laughs> the light of the righteous shines brightly, but the lamp of the wicked is snuffed out. So again, the quality of life contrasting believers with unbelievers, basically. Um, and so light always uh, symbolizes joy and um, prosperity and life. And First Thessalonians chapter 5 calls us children of light. Um, Jesus said he was the light of the world. Uh, John chapter 8 and verse 12, he's the light of the world. The spirit of Christ, who's the light of the world, lives in us. So we're supposed to be manifesting joy and light and truth and warmth in these things. And there's just the quality of life. If you don't have that quality of life, then there's a question of the connections there. Dark is adversity and evil and death, and children of the night are those who don't have the light of the world living in their hearts. So here's, a, once again, a no-brainer choice. You know, do you want, as it were, an all-expense-paid trip to the Hawaiian Islands, or do you want to be sent to prison? So... <laughs> Just, it's that kind of thing is where I constantly see the Holy Spirit saying, really, honestly, do you want pie and, and ice cream or do you want a punch in the nose, as I've been using a lot every other week? It is that, life or death, heaven or hell, blessing or cursing, you choose. Oh, what's wrong with us? Verse 10. Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. So the problem with pride, the, another major theme. Now, the wise listen to advice, and they have humility because they don't think they know everything. And even if they're really, really smart, their Christian maturity gives them the ability to humble themselves and make room for your perspective. 
Wisdom that comes from heaven, James chapter three, is reasonable. It's open. It's not closed. I know everything about this subject. Go away. You know, that doesn't work. So the pride here in the Hebrew is contempt for other people's opinions. Uh, That person is said to be a competitive and unyielding personality. So this type of person who's conceited can only produce strife and make people angry and hurt people's feelings because there's only one thing important to them in their interaction with you that you know how smart they are and that they are right. Amen? Well, you know what I mean by that amen. Verse 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. So wisdom with finances is important uh, to God and it's in the Proverbs for a reason. Um, so he, the point is steady and, and wise saving, little by little, can produce wealth. And um, the, uh, the idea here behind the word dishonest is really quick and easy. In fact, the word does hint at quick, quick and easy, which implies dishonesty. So usually the person who wants fast and easy cash doesn't have the disposition or the wisdom to use it, uh, use money in, in the right way, and so it dwindles, right? So this is the idea. Uh, a person of modest means can do quite well with wisely handling uh, the little that they have with consistent wisdom. Moving on. Verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I'm about to save you $125 an hour at a therapist. All right? So get happy. Here's an observation that reminds us to align our hearts, dreams, and longings aright with the Bible and what God would want us to long for. Because when our desires and goals and ideas that we want to see happen, when they aren't realized, we get heartsick. We are frustrated, depressed, and disillusioned. Now, that doesn't sound like the life that Jesus came to give. Jesus said, I came to give you joy and life so full it's overflowing. And he talks a lot about that. So, if our, experiencing, our experiences are over and over again disillusionment, hope deferred, hope deferred, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. And so I wait, 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 and pff, nothing. Depression. What? I would say something's wrong and that you need to shift your desires, change your desires and longings because really a hope deferred from the Christian point of view is a good thing. Thank you, Jesus. He's saying, uh, I'm hoping for this, I'm hoping for this, I'm hoping for this. For, you know, and if it doesn't come to pass, what is God saying? He's saying no or maybe not yet, right? But God, our Father, who wants all things to work out for our good, has said no to something you really want. So should it really crush you? I understand I've had hopes deferred. But I've also come to understand that some of those hopes were Ross-generated or friends-generated or uh, other generated other than the Holy Spirit. So I, I, I'm just thinking, why not try delighting ourselves in the Lord and we'll wind up with the desires of our hearts because our 
aim is now to delight in him. And so what would be your longing if you're delighting yourself in him? Can I lead someone to the Lord today? Oh, that, that's a longing that will come to pass, right? You won't be frustrated. Uh, again, I, I, you know, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to encourage and strengthen the church. I, I want to outserve my spouse. These are, long, how about those longings? He'll meet you in those longings. So I say to somebody who's, who's heartsick over hope deferred <laughs> over and over and over again, uh, is to perhaps check out um, our aim to make sure God is stirring up God-given longings and desires because he wants to fulfill us, right? Verse 13, he who scorns instruction will pay for it. Oh, I just love when it's direct like that. Like, you want this? You're going to pay for it, okay? But he who respects the command is rewarded. So the importance of attitude here. You know, I overheard a conversation, and it's a good illustration of scorning uh, uh, wisdom or instruction. Uh, the word instruction there is the word. It means the word, like we call God's word the word. So instruction, the word, Torah, the law. Uh, so yeah, to the conversation, it wasn't in church and they weren't Christians. Um, shouldn't drink alcohol and drive, said one. The other one was ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I'm so much of a better driver when I have a few beers, right? So have you not heard that? That's a common thing people like to say. And I, I heard it and I just thought, uh, of this proverb, you're going to pay for that kind of scorning of traditional wisdom that anybody uh, can tell you, you know, that's a wise thing to do. So... Um, to scorn is to despise or to make light of or disregard or to show contempt. Uh, in other words, when you show contempt for something, it's beneath you. So God's got all his commands laid out for us. And by the way, you don't need a book, the Bible, to know his commands because he wrote them on our hearts. And we know right? And so when we think, oh, that's beneath us, and we start mocking that kind of thing, he says, you're going to pay a dear price for that. You'll pay a dear price. Now, you'll be richly rewarded for obeying. It's really not rocket science. Verse 14, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. So, more incentive for God's children to live wisely. So here it is again. Do you want a fountain of life or do you want like a bear trap enclosing in on you? Uh, because uh, not only does the, is there a fountain of life in biblical teaching or godly advice. Oh, yeah, that's right. That looks painful. So it says biblical instruction will save you from the snare, and it means trap, right? Now, of death. Now, who wants to entrap you, right? Lucifer, the devil, Satan himself, the adversary and enemy of your soul prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And how does he do that? He does this with that. And he knows what to put in the center of that for each and individual person has a thing. Every single one of us has a thing that we're more inclined to go after. Every last one of us. And he studies us. They know us. 
They've watched our behavior. Um, they, meaning Satan and his hosts. They're going to bait that thing. And he's saying, if you just obey God's word, you will never step in that, ever. The prayer, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's the way to go. Amen? Amen. Verse 14? 15. 14. Just seeing if you do it again. Okay, fine. Good understanding wins favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. Let's see. Well, discernment in life makes life easier than when you're doing and saying unwise things. Verse 16. Every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. So right in line with our little idiom that we say actions speak louder than words, right? So simply put, your actions will display wisdom or expose folly. And a nice application of this is when uh, the crowds were around and the Lord Jesus was speaking to the crowd and he said, funny thing, what people say about you and how they uh, spread rumors about you. John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he said, lived kind of an austere life, you know, kind of, uh, you know, an aesthetic kind of life. He did, he did a lot of fasting. He didn't go to a lot of parties. He didn't drink wine. And they said, he's demonized. He lives in the desert. He doesn't go to parties. He doesn't socialize. He's got a demon. And then he says, then the Son of God shows up and, and who goes to dinners and barbecues and weddings and drinks wine. And they call him a glutton and a drunk. And then Jesus says, but you know what? Wisdom is proved right by her actions, right? So he's saying, you know what? Let people say what they want about John the Baptist, about me, but our, our life, our, our behavior, our actions will speak in defense of our lives. And that's all that matters. You never saw John the Baptist or Jesus saying, oh yeah, well, no way. That's not true. You know what? Your mama, you know, I... They, they didn't do that. They said, you know what? Check our lives out. Let your good behavior speak on your, uh, at your defense. All right? So everyone uh, can say what they want about me. They can. And they do. I'm a pastor. That's what part of my job description is. Let people talk smack about you. <laughs> That's what happens. Everybody just everybody does that about all leaders, right? I mean, after 30 years, you get kind of used to it, but it doesn't matter. This is the lesson I've learned in my old age. It does not matter because my life speaks for me, who I am. I'm not defined by rumors, and neither are you. I'm not just speaking about me. I'm talking about you. Verse 17, a wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a trustworthy envoy brings healing. Uh, so the correlation is what? It's all about the word healing. It doesn't really mean medical healing here. And that's why it's hard to understand. Here, we've got a reminder, the liability of depending on an untrustworthy person. So couriers and messengers back in the day before email, it was a big deal because you've got to have whatever it is you needed brought to that person, whether it was information or money 
or some sort of uh, possession of some kind, right? And so unfaithful, unbelieving people uh, were not dependable to do that uh, and it would cause all kinds of problems. So uh, a wicked messenger falls into trouble. In other words, he never get there and never get the job done. Why? Because uh, people who don't fear God are always looking for trouble. They have their self-absorbed or they can get distracted over here and they're just, you know, uh, undisciplined and irresponsible and self-serving. And so you're going to be up a creek if you depend on an untrusty trustworthy uh, person. The healing that the dependable messenger brings, it really means reconciling the two, making a strong connection. There'll be uh, not a brokenness, but a coming together. That's the word there. So uh, the takeaway, don't uh, depend on undependable people. Rely on trustworthy people and try being that person yourself. Verse 18, he who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. That, my friends, needs no interpretation. Verse 19, a longing fulfilled, again here, is sweet to the soul, but fools detest turning from evil. Now we need a little clarification to see how these two ideas fit together. So believers, those who are right with God, they have, fulfill, they have their longings fulfilled. That's who we are. We believers who are right with God, all day long, he's fulfilling our desires, right? Uh, there's sweetness and there's contentment in the Christian life, right? It's a blessed life that works and we have joy. But fools cannot, and here's the meaning of the proverb, Fools cannot experience such satisfaction because they will not turn from evil. That's it. They, 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 that's the, the misery, the loneliness, the frustration, the emptiness for the fool is his own doing. It's self-induced. So uh, she or he likes the drama. Now, by the way, when you keep repeating bad behavior that brings you pain over and over and over and over again, you got to figure out why you like it, okay? Because if you really didn't like it like you say you hate it, if you hated it, you wouldn't be doing it. You love it and like it, and it serves a purpose somehow in a sick, dysfunctional way. It's serving you. That's why you keep it around, all right? So you have to figure out what is this serving, right, in me in a, in a sick way, and then fix that. Fix that and, and, so, and so that you don't need to service something dysfunctional like that. And it says the only reason their longings are not fulfilled is because they don't want to let go of the evil that they're doing. There you go. Verse 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. This is another one of my bell ringers. I just really love it. People wonder how can I get wiser? How can I become more dedicated to the Lord? How can I become a more spiritually mature person? Hang out with that kind of person. Make friends with them, right? Well, I've tried and they don't want to be friends with me. You know what? Then be a good friend to them. Try being a good friend, right? And if, if there is a godly person, if they are godly, no godly person will reject somebody who's hanging around 
in a pleasant way, trying to extend an invitation of friendship. There's plenty of wise people for you to find and admire and hang around. There really are. And bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Listen, the the Bible knows how we are. We are severely (laughs) influenced by those around us. I mean, even by accents and inflections in your voice and mannerisms. You hang around a person, you start sounding like them. It is so incredible. I'll go back to New York and Boston, where I'm from, and I'll be around relatives, and I will come back talking like this, okay? I mean, give me a cup of coffee. I will say, I don't say coffee, I say coffee. But when I'm around them, that's all I hear. It clings to me like gangrene, right? It just does. And so what I'm saying is is that when you're around somebody who likes to talk too much about other people and criticize them and is a fault finder, it's going to cling to you. That's how you're going to be. If you're around somebody who's just not sensitive to morality and just kind of looser with the language and says some kind of border words, like it's kind of vulgar, but they're not actually on the list of, you know, Christian, don't say that word. They're fringe words, but, but they use them. You'll start using them. That's how it is. So he says, you want to get wised up? Hang out with wise people. That's how it's going to happen for you. I mean, I've got a question here. It says, how many people here want to become less committed to Christ? How many people here want your fervor for Jesus to, to, to decrease? Well, that's what you're doing when you hang around somebody who is a little bit spiritually compromised. And the problem with this is is that there are some very redeeming qualities about morally compromised people that make them attractive. Even to me, I, I like people who I don't admire everything that they do, but there's something, there's a connection with certain kinds of people, and I have to tell myself, no, you gotta limit that there because It's just not healthy for you, even though they're attractive personalities and sort of make me laugh or this kind of thing. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to be honest with you guys. All right, moving on. Verse 21. Misfortune. By the way, we only have four more. Misfortune pursues the sinner, but prosperity is the reward of the righteous. Good things come to those who do good. Bad things come to those who do evil. Now, that's a general rule. It's just a general rule. You cannot press the Proverbs into a formula. We talked about this. Because we've got Job. We've got the Bible heroes. We've got the, the 11 disciples. We've got the Apostle Paul. We've got Jesus, our Lord. Okay? So the idea here is what is misfortune? Well, well, adversity for the Christian is not misfortune. It's to be counted as all joy. So there's a way to look at our, our, our bad things that come as actually, whoa, quite good because God's allowed this. And James says, count it all joy, this various bad trouble. Maybe we should stop calling every adversity that comes our way as bad. Oh, no, this terrible bad thing happened. James says, consider it all joy, man. God let you fall into various forms of trouble so that you'll be better 
You'll develop character. You'll be praying. You'll be more like him. Some good stuff is going to happen. All right, moving on. Verse 22. There we go. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Well, this is a very interesting one, isn't it? Because millions and millions and millions and millions of good people do not leave a penny for anybody because they don't have the means to do that. There's one billion people in India. There's one billion people in China. But in India, man, there are a lot of godly Christians who aren't going to leave anything. So here's a quote. Right off the bat, says one scholar, We all know there are millions of good people who do not have the means to leave vast inheritances that have an impact on even their grandchildren, which is what the verse says. As with many such proverbs, there are spiritual applications. Good people by their faith can have lasting impact for many generations. And this is an inheritance that can have greater worth than property or Houses. So the bigger idea here is the permanence of the blessing of faith through generations and the temporal blessing of a sinner's wealth that ends at the grave. That's it for them. But for us, we pass on our lives, our wisdom, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this can be carried out throughout generations. I have a treasure in my office. It was given to me by Barb's side of the family. It is this gigantic Bible. It's, I'm not kidding you, it's this thick. And it has this metal latch over it, right? And it's got like a, I've never seen anything like it. It's kind of lacquered in the front. It's five generations of Barb's family, right? And they're Christians for five generations down to Barb, right? And then I started thinking of the spiritual inheritance and wealth that was left. Uh, And I'm sure those who have gone uh, to heaven are aware of things. I believe that they are aware. I don't think they're walking around here, but I do think that they are aware, right? And so even if they're not aware, they will be aware one day. But those guys back in the prairie days, they, they pass their faith onto their baby and, and, and they live that life through thick and thin and passed it on and passed it on and passed it on to Barb's grandma who was, and grandfathers who was, uh, they were missionary, church pioneers and in the 40s and the 50s and then onto her father who was in the ministry and then onto her and she married a pastor and then we had kids, and we passed that on to our kids. And now one of our kids just had a little baby boy, right? So Xander Isaiah is being raised, but my grandma and grandpa have left an inheritance poured into Zach and Caitlin, into Xander Isaiah, and now Xander Isaiah is going to grow up in the faith and, and, Lord willing, do the same, right? This is what the verse is talking about. And what do, what do rich people have who don't know the Lord? It ends at the grave. It doesn't go anywhere. In fact, the money that they did have will, since there's no future in sinning and in unregenerated people, there's no future there. So, so the accumulation of wealth in the world ends up in Christian hands sooner or later. That's the point there. 23. 
A poor man's field may produce abundant food, but injustice sweeps it away. Here's, you know, the Proverbs is hard on poverty that's caused by laziness or by drunkardness, if that's a word. Um, and, but it wants to say that not all poverty is self-caused by bad behavior. So here's an observation that encourages sympathy for the poor, because we need to, because we like to think badly of poor people for some reason. So people may work hard and do all the right thing but, uh, and be quite productive, the proverb says, but in this fallen world and fallen people, with, there's injustice that keeps them from getting ahead. Exorbitant taxes, um, greedy, oppressive landlords, stingy em- employers, sweatshops. You are not going to find one lazy person in a sweatshop because they work from the sun is just coming up and they're sewing and sewing and sewing and they don't even get a long lunch break and they sew into the dark, right? But they're poor. Why? Because they're being paid three cents a day or whatever it is, a dollar if they're fortunate, right? So he's just saying this is a mixed up, crazy, upside down world. Have some passion and compassion, I should say. It's not to be smug, uh, but sympathetic. Okay, 24. He who spares the rod, hate, uh, the, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Well, this is a bell ringer right here, right? And all you have to do is go to Safeway and wait in line there or go out to eat, and sit next to a booth of certain families and find a lot of haters, <laughs> people who hate their children, what, according to the Bible. So let's back up and talk a little bit about this. The value and necessity of discipline. It's huge in uh, the Proverbs. And here we have wisdom exposing what it says about parents who fail to discipline their children. Um, now, it is pro-spanking, but the Bible is really careful to say, do not, oh, do not be over-demanding or provoke your children to anger. Um, do not be overly harsh. That's a problem. And do not be overly lenient. That's problematic, too. There's somewhere in the middle, right? And so leniency is often thought of as, I've got a soft heart, I just love them too much. And it's so funny because it says wrong. You do not love them too much. You, you, have, a, you have a love for your own image with them. You have an idol somewhere. Uh, yes, of course, you do love them, and it is hard to make little the little cherubs uncomfortable or bring a lo- right. It is it is hard to do that, uh, but it, it is it is not that you love them too much. It's that you really don't love them enough in a biblical way. Now, <laughs> excessive. Leniency is what we're talking about here, is just never helping Junior to connect bad behavior with painful consequences. He never makes it, right? And so I have a, I have a progression of slides to show you. The first one, that dude needs to be stopped, all right? That dude needs to, look at his face, come on. 
That dude needs more than a timeout, all right? I'm not sure that timeout is going to be enough for him. All right, and so that dude, I've seen them. They climb on tables. They climb over booths in restaurant, and mom and dad laugh. Oh, that's so funny, and, right? They yell, I hate you. Oh, don't say that. Oh, don't say that? Okay, that dude turns into this dude. Give me your lunch money. Okay, that's who he turns into, right? And he's going he's gonna to hit him, and he thinks it's a funny joke, too. Right? And this poor little guy's going to go home with a black eye or a bloody nose. Why? Because you let your little junior climb on other people's furniture and look up and say, I hate you. And no, I don't want to eat that. And throw the plate on the floor and just laugh and put it on Facebook. Look how cute that is. Right? Sorry. (laughs) I am talking off the top of my head. I do not know anything about you or your children. And if the shoe fits, please, move it on. That dude turns into those dudes who are looting in the wake of a disaster. That's him. That's the little dude who said, I hate you. No, I'm not eating it. That's the kid who never associated any painful thing with bad behavior. He associates bad behavior with getting what he wants. There's no reason to stop the bad behavior. And so he turns into that. You know, and I have one picture of a teenage girl being obnoxious. You know, I I only put that in there because I just saw that happen. And I just thought, oh, that's so funny. And the mom was sitting right on the aisle seat next to her. And I feel like it's almost this picture. And it was just like, you know, how cute or funny, you know? No. No, 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 no. They're not our friends. They're not our little playmates. They need to be taught. Amen? Amen. Now that you're all mad at me, or some of you, let me see here. Yeah. Oh, I have down here. Discipline the kid for the sake of society. Could you not unleash another one on the whole world? He's going to be a lousy employee. He's going to be a lousy employee. <laughs> Sorry. He's going to be a horrible employee, a terrible husband, awful husband, a, a terrible father, and trouble, a troublemaker in church. <laughs> All right. Now, that said, everybody's got free will. And you could raise a kid in a really good Christian home with very well-loving, gracious, gracious mercy. Grace, mercy. If you if you got a trouble trouble with anger, do not ever spank your child. If just never do it. Time out. And there are other creative ways. We're talking about people who don't have struggles with that. You know, one little swat, one swat, nothing, nothing. So yeah, moving on. One last one. Wow, we made it. (laughs) The righteous eat to their hearts content, but the stomach of the wicked goes hungry. And so this is an easy one. Uh, Life's good when you're walking with the Lord. Your heart's content and your needs are met always. But when you're doing your own thing, opposing the Lord, uh, life's bad and ultimately very empty. So that's pretty easy. All right, thank you for that slide. In closing, it seems to me that Proverbs really 
like many other scriptures, is calling us to grow up. I got a closing illustration for you, something I read about. Uh, two teachers applied for a job. They wanted to be vice principal at a high school, local high school. One had been teaching a total of eight years and the other one a total of 20 years. Everyone expected the teacher with the greater uh, amount of experience to get the job, right? But it was the person who had only eight years of experience who actually was hired. Now, you know, it's a small community and people find out about everything. And so the person with 20 years of experience said, kind of threw a fit and said, hey, come on, I've got 20 years of experience. Why would you hire the person with eight years of experience? And they said they called the references and from what they put together, the answer was, well, sir, you do have 20 years to her eight, but where she has eight years experience, um, it sounds like you have one year experience repeated 20 times. <laughs> Meaning, you have not been growing. You have not been learning. You've been having birthdays and anniversaries, but nothing's changing on the inside, right? So that's what I hear in the Proverbs saying, come on, be confronted by the truth, be open, receiving, humble yourself, and start with the Holy Spirit's help to put those changes into place. A righteous person falls seven times but gets up. It's the wicked who stumble and don't get up, you see? So if you want to be spiritually mature and wise, you have to keep growing. Keep having birthdays, yeah. But also keep maturing as the Lord is convicting and revealing and helping. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for helping us get through 25 Proverbs tonight. May some of that, if not all of it, Lord, may the important things that need to stick to, the, to our souls be incorporated into our very hearts, Lord, so that we would become wise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.